Hello, and welcome to Culture Exchanges, a podcast at the intersection of the humanities and cultural diplomacy. I'm your host, Terry Harvey, Vice President of the Meridian Center for Cultural Diplomacy. This podcast series explores the impact of the arts and culture on diplomatic relations across the world through discussions with cultural diplomacy experts. Today on Culture Exchanges, we are having an engaging conversation with scholar and filmmaker, Dr. Robert D. Lemon, on the contribution of Mexican food trucks on urban space, public policy, and American cuisine. When taco trucks first arrived in the United States in the 1970s, as workers from Mexico migrated to California, the menus combined Mexican food with American taste. Now, food trucks are used for almost any cuisine imaginable and have revolutionized the way food is sold throughout the United States. However, Mexican food trucks have not always been welcomed by local governments, the public, and the culinary world. Dr. Lemon is a contemporary cultural and urban geographer grounded in the fundamentals of urban and environmental design. His work cuts across foodways, Latin American migration, communication geography, neoliberalism, and the right to the city. Dr. Lemon is currently a research fellow in the Department of Geography and the Environment at the University of Texas in Austin, and a member of the editorial board for Taste of the City Journal. Thank you so much, Dr. Lemon, for joining us. Uh, really look forward to diving into your expertise around this subject. I thought we might give our audience just a, a brief history first of Mexican food trucks in the United States. Well, if we go with food trucks, you know, the food that sells street food, Mexican street food, has been L.A., Chicago, and San Antonio since the early 1900s, even late 1800s. But the trucks themselves probably you can trace them back to the early 1970s and that came apart for you know a variety of reasons uh one is the number of mexican immigrants coming into california in the 1970s to work in fields the agricultural they would rotate and they were at that period of time they weren't really trying to settle here and get u.s citizenship they would migrate in pretty freely work the fields and then they'd go back to Mexico until it was time to harvest something again. And they would kind of rotate with what crops were popping up. You know, some innovative Mexicans realized, hey, there's these sandwich trucks that go around to like industrial parks and, and the workers who work at Boeing or whatnot in California, in LA, they're like, well, let's do the same, but we'll take our tacos and we'll go out to where the Mexicans are. And the Mexicans aren't doing like skilled labor in the factories, they're out picking you know, fruits in the fields of California. So their routing is a little bit different. <clears throat> so they're having to drive further and they're having to migrate for, with the workers to, to bring food out. Around 1974, I would say 75, a couple of these trucks were just like, I'm done driving around. It's cost too much in gas. I got fixed a truck. Often the people I'm feeding never pay me. You know, they run up like a tab and then they never pay them. And like, this is costly. So bad business model, essentially. So they started just parking in Latino neighborhoods. And the first two that I could find, and there's probably other ones that were not, you know, no one was going around California in 1970s. Like, this is the first taco truck in the state on the street. You know, that kind of evidence doesn't exist. But what you can kind of trace back is that there was a truck in L.A. called King Taco, which essentially is still there. And it's still the longest in-operating taco truck. There's a restaurant behind it now uh, in East L.A. And then there is another truck, or there was a truck 
I feel confident enough in saying, based on my interviews in Sacramento, that there's a truck parked in the neighborhood in Sacramento, California, since 1974 as well. And there may have been prior to those that we don't know about, but we can at least trace two trucks back. Yeah, I mean, the, the evolution of this history is, is, a, is a moving target, I'm sure, and, and really hard to nail down from a, an academic point of view. But, you know, I think it's clear that the public debate around taco trucks have been framed in a variety of different ways, uh, an issue of racism, discrimination, uh, issues related to public safety, health, question of immigration rights. How have different local communities, governments, public policy responded to food trucks uh, within urban settings and urban areas? Often depends on the neighborhoods they move into and they're trying to sell to and what those neighborhoods they and themselves have going on, what their demographics like, their education levels like, and then you toss the taco truck into that mix and then you get often you get some sort of conflict, not always, but sometimes you're well accepted. And sometimes it just takes time for people to change their mind on it. And I just like to point out, I'm not like a proponent or advocate of like, let's have a taco truck everywhere. There are great things. And I'm, I come from the perspective of this human geographer. I want to know what's going on around these trucks. And then, and there are real issues that can't just be dismissed, for example, like uh, it's interesting to know when I was researching Columbus, Ohio, they may, many of the trucks were moving into poor white neighborhoods that tend to be low educated and fairly racist. And they would shoot BBs at the trucks, say, you know, look, we don't, they aren't supposed to be here. They're not here legally. They're trashy. There's trash everywhere. They're stealing electricity. They're not paying to be on the lot. And then if you go through all these things, they're like, well, they are paying me on the lot. They do have a permit for electricity and they're paying a meter hook up there that they've gone through city or the regulations to have their food truck there. And they have a health permit and everything's on the up and up. And then, so then the argument just comes down to, well, they're not legal. And like when they're, they're going to say, well, that's not, they're here illegally or in their terms, they're illegal, right? Mm -hmm. Not my words, undocumented would be the correct term, I guess. So in, in that stage, they lose their argument, the trucks get to stay, you know, for various reasons. And then you go to like Sacramento, California, or actually Oakland, who I discovered in Oakland, is you the trucks are everywhere and the city sort of takes a blind eye to it. <clears throat> and if you do go to the trucks, most of these guys working the trucks, many of them who own the trucks now migrated in the 1970s and 80s have amnesty. So they're here 100% legally, have their papers, they're documented. And often if you're like in East Oakland, they let a lot of things slide. But what I found going to many of the trucks is that there's no health permits and they are trashy and there are roaches running around. And mm -hmm. there are these problems here, but the city's got so much going on that the truck can just be there and they're in Latino neighborhoods. No one's really complaining. The only people who sort of complain about the trucks are maybe other Mexican establishments who have a brick and mortar, but that's sort of uh, minimal. In LA, that was prevalent where you'd have many Mexican restaurants had brick and mortars, didn't like the trucks just pulling up right in front of their business and selling. And then the argument there was, you know, I'm paying property taxes. I've got overhead. I've rent. my margin 
I have to charge more for my tacos so I can make ends meet and it's not fair for a truck just to pull up in front of my restaurant and sell tacos at a lower price. So that's how the variety of the issues can go. Yeah, a variety of challenges, right? For certainly some of those pioneering food truck owners uh, really does depend so many variables in terms of location, which city, which neighborhood, which demographic. Uh, it's really fascinating. I thought we could dive a little bit into the sort of the cultural aspect of, of food trucks and, and really how have Mexican food trucks and street food impacted the American culinary landscape? Uh, perhaps more specifically, how can this exchange be viewed in the context of, of cultural diplomacy? Well, I'll give you a, a good example that I heard from many neighbors of Columbus, Ohio. Um, when the trucks were first moving in, they're like, these are eyesores. They're not paying, you know, it's not the, all the businesses are mad because they're paying better business bureau overhead. And these trucks are there and they look ugly and distract. No one wants to come in the neighborhood and go, my business, there's this ugly truck there. It's an eyesore. And, degrades the neighborhood. So there are those sorts of arguments about the trucks. And that was, I would say, around 2004, 2005. And then around 2012, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we love the trucks. Everyone goes to them, all different people, not just not just the Latinos, but now you've got blacks, whites, you name it, they're all going to trucks to eat. And you have people coming across the city to venture at the trucks to eat. A few of the residents told me like, well, we had a freeze one year, we lost power. And the only things were open for these taco trucks because they all had backup generators because thought ahead. So we're hungry. And so, so it's like, well, I guess we either go hungry or we go eat one of these trucks. And then they went and ate the trucks. And so that got there. And like the whole neighborhood's lined up with these trucks. It's the only place to get anything to eat at all. And then we found out we're like, wow, this is delicious and it's cheap. And he said, the next thing you know, the whole neighborhood's going to the trucks. And the neighborhood came to embrace them because they said, well, it's good food and they like the value, but the sort of diplomacy aspect of it is that they got to meet someone they probably wouldn't have really engaged with before and realized, oh, well, these taco truck owners, you know, they're humans too. They're out here trying to make a living. They're new in this country. They've only been here a month or two, many of them, and they already have a business. They set up shop. You know, they're entrepreneurs, they're hard workers, they have a family, their kids are at school, they're playing soccer, and that around the food, you have, you know, diverse communities coming together, talking, exchanging life circumstances, and uh, realizing, well, you know, it's kind of like green pants and with nobody inside them with Dr. Seuss, like, well, they're not so scary after all, you know, right? That's right. I mean, and they uh, become good pals, and then, they, you right. know, yeah. So, and it happens because of the social glue of food, I would say, because food allows, you know, people to come together, eat and talk and exchange. And then most people, when they're eating, they're in a good mood because you can get your little dopamine rush and, you know, you're feeling good again. You got your energy and you want to chat while you're eating. And, and then you go around most taco trucks, like Latinos like to talk to each other and, and hear, hear about what's happening uh, in the neighborhood and the community and, what's going on back in Mexico. So, Yeah, I mean, do you feel like taco trucks aren't celebrated enough in, in having that, that community building sort of mechanism to it? I mean, there's something to say about multicultural uh, folks coming together on the street, standing next to each other, eating next to each other. There is a sense of communal power to the food truck industry, right? It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, most, most definitely. 
So in your in your book, Robert, The Taco Truck, How Mexican Street Food is Transforming the American City, I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy and, and learn more. You discuss that taco trucks are more often than trendy spots for Mexican cuisine, but really crucial windows into society. Can you speak more about the social importance of, of these taco trucks? Well, I, I would say from my experience researching the trucks, because I began working with the trucks when I was working for the city of Columbus, Ohio, in the planning department. There was no Twitter at the time and no Instagram. So no one's tweeting food spots and no one's taking pictures of their culinary adventures at this point. You know, the trucks were there to serve a purpose and that was to feed communities in the very affordable way and, and workers mainly. And they had a direct purpose to just feed that community in the workers. There was no, nothing shiny or nice about it per se. Then you got the, I think it was the Kanji Korean taco truck in LA who started using Twitter to tweet their locations. And this became really cool. And sort of the hybridity of finding a truck and park somewhere in a different part of the city every day, having this new food, the novel food, which is Korean barbecue tacos, just hybrid, very, you know, LA sort of cuisine. That became sort of a, a trend at the time. And if you look at who's following the trend, well, it's not the Mexican day laborers. They're like out working. Right. They need the they need to stop the truck on the way home because it's convenient and cheap. They don't have time to go out of their way and explore new neighborhoods and try a different cuisine. And it's typically middle class Anglos for the most part mm -hmm. um, and getting on Twitter and doing their urban adventures. And then Instagram came along and then you can take a picture of it and geocode that with it, right? Like I just had this amazing food in this neighborhood I've never been to and check out the scenery. So when I started writing on this, it was like, oh yeah, you're doing those cool food trucks that drive around and they tweet their location. I'm like, no, I do the taco trucks. And you're like, yeah, that's what they are. I'm like, no, those are, well, they're food trucks. They some of them might be serving tacos, but you know, um, and now I'm looking at like the Mexican taco trucks and, and it really complicated things because all of a sudden now I have to address this whole new food industry trend that I didn't have any interest in writing about. And I was trying to avoid it, but I couldn't, had to address it. And not only did I have to address it, it was their practices are very different than the taco trucks practices and their purposes are very different. And, and you could see issues being conflated in city policy. Well, they're like, they look at the trucks, like, well, you can do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, that's great for these newer trucks, but it doesn't help the taco trucks uh, or, and they were being left out in the conversation in many ways, because maybe the taco truck owners weren't showing up to the city meetings of which their businesses are directly affected by. And the only owners that are there representing themselves are English speaking. Uh, white people who own the, the newer trucks and so their representation wasn't at the table so i guess my point was saying that they have this sort of cultural purpose is that there are people reliant on those cheap eats and not only that when you go to the truck again as i mentioned before when you're eating at the truck there are other people around from your demographic and maybe from your hometown and often you would see people like hey uh, these people are from my hometown, this food, these type of tacos are from my hometown. And they might even know each other and they didn't know each other. They might have friends in common and they're talking about community back in Mexico. There's sort of this place 
communities that are still in existence and take uh, a form around these trucks that you don't see chasing the newer trucks around. For I say it's a cultural importance, and many of them are never going to go back to Mexico again. And they're here, and sometimes they're they will eat the food, and they're like the food cuisine. They remind me of home, remind me of family and friends. And the food itself, it's more it's a, a comfort food category for Mexicans mm -hmm. um, because they're eating something they know and they're familiar with, and it reminds them of a home in the past time where if you're going out and trying new cuisines, these are not comfort foods. These are new foods and they serve a whole different psychological and emotional purpose. Yeah, there's definitely a distinct difference there. I appreciate you you outlining that for, for our audience. Um, wanted to get into some of your work in, in Columbus. In addition to your work in academia, you're also a filmmaker. 2014, you directed a series of vignettes titled Transfusion on Mexican food trucks and the surrounding community in Columbus, Ohio, specifically. Some of the business people and community members you portrayed on screen were, in fact, undocumented. Uh, can you talk about the challenges you face when capturing their stories? Why it's important to tell these stories of undocumented peoples within the scope of the overall American cultural exchange? It wasn't too hard to capture it. Surprisingly, most of the immigrants in Columbus were not coming from big industrial regions of Mexico, like Mexico City or Guadalajara, which is typically the case of 80s and 90s migrants. The 2000 migrants were coming from more rural areas of Mexico, primarily to do with NAFTA policies. So it affected rural communities a little bit more, especially agri agricultural producing communities. So these people are now coming in and you find out the more rural people from Mexico are very trustworthy individuals and they're very kind and they have very unique cuisines. They're not just the straight up street tacos that you would find in Mexico City and Guadalajara, not to say that there's not a huge variety of street tacos in both those cities. There are, but this is beyond that scope. And you're seeing them prepare, you know, enchiladas, potosinas, and Oaxacan style atole and teayudas. And so you've had this huge variety of food now to these trucks, especially in Columbus, Ohio, which is amazing. It's like, wow, you can go around Columbus, Ohio, you can eat at pretty much every state of Mexico and have quite diverse cuisines. Whereas if you're in California, it's just like the same old Guadalajara style tacos, which is a variety of three or four of them, you know, barbacoa, carnitas, or something of the sort. And then here in Columbus, Ohio, you're like, I'm getting Oaxacan food, I'm getting stuff from San Luis Potosí, and then there's Veracruz, and it's all absolutely delicious. And the, you know, there's also the Mexico City variety too. So they were just very excited. I was filming around them and they're just very open, like, oh, come in and film and let me tell you about this. It's just so super sweet, super kind. And of course, I couldn't reveal really who their, their names are and didn't do so in the book. But they were very open to letting me film and research and ask questions. And now, I think what was the second part to that? With well, the, just really, I mean, um, the, the and, story behind it. I yeah, just, I mean, well, I mean, that's right. All of us, unless we're you know Native American, have some sort of immigrant story that's right. that's exactly. like lost in the past. You know, it just disappears. You know, that's and, right. And no one's ever like thinking like the present one day will be important to study for somebody. So we should like capture it you know, now, and yeah. so we're not digging through documents in the past, like, and maybe someone 20 years from now will be like, oh, 
let's explore this for a hundred years from now, let's explore this topic a hundred years ago, migrants in the city and like, oh, well, guess what? Someone has a study directly on the capital. Right. Well, it would have made our life a lot easier as historians today if someone was doing that, you know, a hundred years ago, capturing right. it happens, right? That's um, right. A camera taking a picture. So I always feel like these cuisines in this time period only exists for, you know, while we're looking at it, uh, it will transform over time. Like these foods may disappear or they might transform into a new hybrid and the, the food's always evolving. These stories and the struggles of people, what they're doing here, why they're here are important to understand. And, uh, there's a you know, larger political structures, global political issues taking place that drive individual behavior. You can see how it gets played out at that human level when you're, you know, interviewing people who are direct cause of that here in this country. Right? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's important to celebrate the impact of undocumented workers on our society, on our culture. I mean, it's it's really an uncelebrated phenomenon, but in the space of cultural exchange and diplomacy, they are tremendous contributors to our society, and in this case, culinary diplomacy. So really appreciate your work in that space. As a, as a human geographer, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this final question, and this is more, more speaking more broadly. What are your observations on how the exchange of culinary traditions can and build mutual understanding amongst different communities. Quite quite broad uh, subject matter there. I always find it great. I mean, to kind of reiterate, I think I brought it up earlier, which is that food's, you know, a social glue. And every sort of community can bring something to the table. And I think we're getting to a point, at least in our society, where we have a more open perspective towards food where especially in our cities now, it, it used to be, there used to be the story your foodie part of the city wanted to go try new foods, but now it seems like you have a lot of denizens that are very informed about all sorts of cuisine and like to eat everywhere. And I, and I wouldn't necessarily call them foodies, they just enjoy food and they're very diverse in their knowledge of food. You know, like they'll eat Japanese one day. And I just think that that's just part of globalization and urbanization that those foods, global foods will just become our everyday food. So as we see that happening, I think that food itself will become a bridge between the people cooking it and the people eating it and other people who want to share and cook those foods. Yeah, I mean, uh, culinary diplomacy is is something that's quite powerful, as you really well put it. You know, in a lot of ways, food trucks and even Mexican taco trucks uh, laid the early foundation of that cultural understanding through food and community building. Um, so it's really a fascinating subject. I want to commend you for the great scholarship you've led over the years and really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Harvey, for having me on. It was fun to revisit the topic. It's been a while since I've uh, looked at the stuff. Great. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Culture Exchanges, a podcast that examines the impact of cultural diplomacy in its many forms on global relations. We'd like to thank the National Endowment for the Humanities for funding this podcast, our guest on this episode for taking the time to share their expertise, our podcast editor, Ed Bishop, and our listeners for taking the time to engage in the world of cultural diplomacy. 